When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another episode of Hockey Royalty Live, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. We're going to be talking game three. We're going to be talking game four and what it looks like with three games to go in the series. Like and subscribe. Let's get into the chat. Let's go. fellas well you know it's been a couple days since we've been on here i know we were trying to go every day but you know just from all the stress from the winning and, and whatever we just needed a weekend weekend off coming we're coming strong today with both games and, and seeing what's going on in the future uh but before we get into all that how are you fellas doing i know russell you had a jam-packed weekend with some games some stuff with the fam how you doing yeah i'm doing good um it's it's weird because i really wish i didn't have like like a dog in this fight between the Kings and Oilers because objectively this has been by far one of the best playoff series I've seen in probably a few years. I mean, I'm getting Chicago 2014 vibes between the Kings and the Western Conference Finals. I mean, three overtimes. The other one was essentially a one-goal game with the empty netter. But mentally – Pretty stressed out right now. Pretty stressed out. <laughs> otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Joe? I'm all right. Yeah, it's, you could say it's as advertised, right? I mean, it's been uh, it's been a hell of a freaking series. That game last night was fantastic. But looking around the other series, like it's still early. Although the Devils, uh, we talking briefly here before we hopped on here, Russ. The Devils have tied that series up. Yeah. But I don't think the games are quite as exciting as as what we're seeing. Um, you know, I I'll, I'll, got feisty Boston, Florida the other day. Toronto and Tampa had a melee, um, but as a whole, I I agree. It's been it's been an entertaining series. It's there's no short of excitement for the uh, for the average fan, and probably everybody's losing a little bit of sleep and a lot of hair if uh, if you're a fan of either of these teams. <laughs> yeah, Joe Joe was had a full head of hair before the series started. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get in the chat here. CJ was coming in early, man. Uh, 6.08 p.m. I like it. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, Nav21. Hey, yo, Sean P. Hey, guys. We shall overcome. Dimitri coming in here say fourth line is a major liability. We'll get into that into the previews. Uh, maybe a little in, in game four right there. But let's start first with game three. Obviously, uh, this was a major controversial game, not only with the final goal and the 
Velarde tip or the Velarde high stick, but there were some some penalties there. I mean, you look at the 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 slashing against Drysaddle after the goal. Uh, a lot of people thought that it was soft, even though it was directly to uh, the side of the leg. You look at a little some ticky tack here and there, uh, especially from Edmonton's side. A lot of complaining by the coach uh, post game. Uh, but the you know overtime heroics, Kings pull it out, go up two one in the series. Overall, what did you think about you know the return of Gabe Velarde and then the team as a whole? Yeah, Gabe's made an impact since he's come back in the lineup. I mean, ever since game two, um, he hasn't really missed a beat, which has been very good to see. I mean, we talked about this before game one, after game one. He's definitely one of the more high skilled players on the team, so to have him back was great. Um, yeah, but game three was pretty much officiating's kind of had this dark cloud over this entire series. And it's unfortunate because, yeah, I mean, the Kings have been getting some soft calls. I mean, we're not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is what it is, but this is just the way that playoffs are. The refs are always going to have their impact on a game. It's just about how you overcome it as a team. And you could say the Kings benefited from it. I mean, the high stick, it is what it is. I mean, at the time, I was just like, if you're, if you're trying to slow down frame by frame, and then for a play that didn't even really have a huge impact on the goal itself, it was probably like 10 seconds before the, the puck even went in the net. So, I mean, it just – it felt right that the goal – like, goals like that should count. Like, that's not what the rule is for. And I forget who had that article come out, Dan Down Goes Brown. I don't know his real name on, on from The Athletic. But it's like the replay, replay review has become this, like – thing that people just kind of look to to kind of save them as opposed to making sure that the play and the and the actual hockey is being played on the ice. So I'm glad that they let the call go because that's – I mean, it was a nice play. I mean, Byfield, Velarde, Trevor Moore, like excellent like four-check cycle all throughout the corner. And it was, it was really, like, once again, a really entertaining game. Uh, yeah, I mean, just real quick on the goal. I, I, fooled, I had no idea that was even a reviewable thing. I mean, I didn't even know they could go back and and I mean, I knew they could go back for if they thought there was a goal. I did not know that there was a. a well, Joe, Joe, real quick, and then also, we had no idea what was going on in the arena. I, I had, had I bet. there I were bet. fans in front of me looking back up, like, like what's going on? And I didn't know until I saw a close up on the replay of like maybe a stick touching high, and I was like, okay, maybe that's what they're reviewing, because I remember that Sharks game. I think it was a hand pass, and that's where the replay review was initially like implemented into the system. So I was actually kind of worried that they were going to call it back, just yeah. judging, but I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I mean, it. I think the Kings caught a break. I mean, I agree that it's in the like the spirit of the rule. I mean, it's kind of crazy that they're going back and doing that. So I'm I'm obviously glad for that reason, and because I want the Kings to win the series that 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 it stood. I mean, I thought it hit the tape. I thought it hit a stick, but it, it really wasn't that conclusive, at least for me. I don't know if they had a different view. Obviously, they didn't, and they they kept the call on the ice. I mean, so it is what it is. I think the King, you know, again, maybe they caught a break on that, but um, I, it was it was a back-and-forth game kind of early, and, and I don't know, I just – I, I thought that after the first period, there was a handful of penalties in the first period, um, just, just – and I wrote the article that I think it was the next day, just – incredibly stupid from Edmonton. This they, Edmonton could conceivably have been up three games to none in this series after three games, but they're incredibly stupid penalties. They're just undisciplined. 
it was shocking how they were just continuing to shoot themselves in the foot. They just take the lead. And Randon, you mentioned about is the is the slash on dry sidle after the goal a soft call. Yeah, it's a little ticky tacky. There wasn't that wasn't that much there. But there wouldn't have been a what, call if you don't do anything. But what are you doing? Is my point. <laughs> and Drysidel had the audacity. I think it was after the it was after game one. Drysidel had said, you know, we got to be more mature. We got to be smarter about taking these late penalties because again, mind you, the Kings were down by a goal in that final minute in game one, and they had a power play goal, which was a six on four, and then a power play goal in overtime because of absolutely careless penalties, absolutely careless penalties by by Edmonton. Um, and they did it again um, in game three with, with the dry cell thing. Just stupid. Um, it just, it was like I wrote in the article, like it's disappointing as a hockey fan to see a team that talented do that. And they did it again yesterday. So if you, the Kings took the 4 3 lead, the Zach Hyman penalty was mind numbingly stupid. Mikey Anderson dumps the puck in and you take a two hand chop at his foot to take him down. The Kings could have scored on the power play, took a two-goal lead. Like these guys, if they do get by LA, yeah, they're the best team in the West, but good God, they're asking for trouble. This they're just a stupid, stupid hockey team. It's incredible to me. But that said, game three was I didn't think LA played a great game after the first period. Um it's kind of been the same way that was the first first couple of games. Edmonton has controlled this series through the first three games at five on five. And it wasn't even particularly close. I think LA had done a decent job, relatively speaking of limiting some of what Edmonton could do. I mean, they'd kept McDavid off the sheet for a while, even with that, even with limiting, you see, see the broadcast talk about some of the, um, some of the more private uh, uh, analytics that look good in the King's favor, but it's like, even with that, they're still getting, dominated at five on five. And it's just like, so they're, they're, they're like kind of hanging on, but they had the two, one series lead. They credit to them. Like you can be handed gifts all you want presents all you want. You still got to open them. And so they take advantage of, of some of the gifts that they were given, whether it was penalties or whatever it was on the high stick and overtime in game three. So they get through three games. They're up two games to one. Um, Rando, you asked about Velarde, huge impact to the series. Um, He's him, and then we'll get to Fiala. I know, but that, that's huge. I mean, it, it just adds so much to that bottom six uh, that's that's sorely needed. So um, it was a good good result in Game Three, um, but like Game One, not a great performance. Um, but you're up two one after three. I think we've been doing a decent job at counter punching, which is I thought we we have had have needed to do. Because, you know, we talked about this in the preview, or at least I did. I, I, I expected, not, you know, obviously not knowing how long the injuries would be uh, to to uh, Velarde and Fiala, that we would probably get hemmed in quite a bit um, and that we'd have to be good counterpunchers. I and mean, we have to not take stupid penalties to stay out of the box. And for the most part, in the first three games, we did that. We counterpunched. We stayed out of the box. And in game two, got absolutely destroyed. And we still were in a fighting chance in that game. So I thought we'd done a pretty good job, you know, going to that. And, you know, the, the penalty there, I mean, it's inconclusive. It is what it is. Like, you're not going to make the play as a referee and and say, yeah, that's for sure hitting the tape. When I couldn't tell, like, was that pucks at mm -hmm. already at its apex? It didn't stop moving. 
you know, uh, our, our photographer, you know, Alex Cave said on a compression lens on all those cameras, you can't tell layering. You can't tell that could, that puck could be, you know, a millimeter away or it could be five inches away. You like, you can't really tell. Uh, and so like, you know, and like, like you said, Russ, it wasn't really a part of the play. Cause even after that, it's not like it went straight to Velarde and he made a right. ditch. Right. So, you know, it was bouncing around there. He didn't even like hit it directly after that. Like it was all moving around. So it is what it is. I know. I mean, obviously if the, the shoe was on the other foot, you know, maybe Kings fans would be upset and everything like that just because there's a lot of energy going into this game. And, you know, I mean, Fiala's trip in game four, people were upset about that. And the stick was in between dry side of his legs. Right. So it's just, it's, it's part of the game. Fans are always going to complain and, and, think that it has way more impact than what it does in the game. But ultimately I think the Kings outside of a few things in, in game four have been doing a good job at limiting the amount of mistakes, limiting the amount of opportunities that um, Edmonton is having on the power play. Cause I mean, we thought they were dominant during the regular season. I mean, they've just been destroying us nonstop on, on the power play. So, uh, you know, as much as we've quote unquote taken McDavid off the sheet, I mean, dry has got a, he's been a part of every single point that Edmonton has scored. So we haven't done a good job there. So, um, I don't know. I was, I was excited. I think maybe this will be a good transition in the game four. I was excited after game three, when your emotions are high and then we go up three, nothing in game four, it really seemed that we were turning the table. Right. I mean, Joe, you even said in your tweet, like, Hey, Edmonton's got to be worried now. Like we got Fiala back, obviously big jump there. Let's start with let's start with that. The energy, not only uh, after watching Game Three, but going into Game Four, scoring green, uh, three goals. But Russ, talk about the energy in the building. Uh, you you tweeted out that the energy was electric when Fiala's face got posted up on the Titantron, getting ready for warmups. Oh yeah, I mean, fans knew what was going on. Um, the elephant in the room was twenty two, and whether he was going to come out for warmups, we had heard from Morning Skate that he skated with on a. They believe it was a red contact mm-hmm. jersey or whatever the night before, um, but yeah, I mean, as soon as you saw him on the on the warm up uh, video board, I mean, the crowd lit up. Saw him on on skating around. He, they showed him showed him once again, and then you could see him come out. And there was a cheers even on his first shift. I mean, yeah, this is a a player that if he was healthy would have more than likely led this team in scoring. So obviously, the fans are going to be excited. And yeah, the first. First period, it, it reminded me, Randy. I mean, remember that game you came out and saw in mm-hmm. St. Louis? It's the same thing. Yeah. Fiala's return. It was, he had, in that game, he returned, had a primary assist on the first goal, like seconds into the game. And sure enough, he, he almost had a primary assist on a feed to eye follow just like seconds into the game yeah. I mean, with a beautiful pass. And then sure enough, gets the primary with the pass off the pad to Velarde. I mean, yeah, the first three goals, the, the crowd was jumping. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I had that, I had that feeling in the back of my mind. Like we had seen this story before. I mean, they did it in Carolina. They did it. They scored five goals at home to Arizona. We knew what happened then. They eventually won that game. And then also the game in St. Louis. And it's just, man, I mean, that second period, I just knew like they, they couldn't stop. You, you can't let up against this Oilers team because, yeah, they while they've played and won games close and they've shown the capability to do that, these win these close 2-1, 3-1 games, when you give them an opportunity to just, like, let the floodgates open, like, hey, Woodcroft's going to give you no no reins. It just let the horses run wild. And that's sure enough what they did. And I just – if I could look back to any play 
that was a turnaround for the game four, it's the Edler penalty. That just totally killed momentum. I mean, that's you're putting the, the best power play on the ice. And it's like, I just knew, it's like, if this team scores right here, their confidence, total confidence is going to change. Momentum's going to change. And that's sure enough what happened. I mean, they just couldn't come back from that. I mean, they the second period was what it was. It was horrible. And then, I don't know. It just kind of was hard. But I mean, I'll let Joe talk about the rest of it, I guess, and what he I, saw. I'm not sure. Sh- I've gone back and forth. And, and going back and rewatching for doing the the – shot contributions and to Kevin Fiala, by the way, I had him for seven shot assists at five on five, which was second only to Trevor Moore. He had 10 shot contributions in total at five on five in his first game back, picking up right where he left off, just being just dominant in, in that, uh, in that category and creating offense. I, you know, I, I didn't, and, and go back to that tweet for a second, Ren, and it just was, it was like, this is the LA Kings that we were used to seeing for a while there, like front foot, there's no you can if you break out we're coming right back in it was just one of those it was like everything was clicking it's like that is what you're looking for this is how you beat edmonton you'll beat edmonton by kind of playing it safe and quote unquote smart and all you beat them by playing this way and they take a three nothing lead i i go i really don't think and i thought it maybe at the time but after rewatching like i genuinely don't think the kings actually like sat back i mean there was even after the 3-1 it's 3-1. There was a shift by the Deneau line, which was incredible. I think they even cycled through another line that came out, like, and they were in the Edmonton zone. Like, when I look at the shot attempts for the for the Kings, they had 20 in the first period and 16 in the second. So it's not as if it was they held off and were just kind of playing defense. The problem is they could not stop Edmonton because Edmonton had 30 shot attempts in that in that second period. So as as much as I want to be critical of the Kings because they have a, they generally do, they'll get a two, three goal lead and they'll sit back and they'll, that's, that's generally statistics show. That's just how they play. I don't know that I don't, I really didn't, I don't feel like that was actually the case. I I actually give a little bit more credit to Edmonton because they really turned it up a notch or three because like I said, it's not as if the Kings were were generating much less in terms of offensive potential, offensive chances. It was that Edmonton was creating that much more. Um, so I, I do give some credit to Edmonton there. Speaking of credit to Edmonton, um, everybody on Twitter was laughing about it, but Edmonton goes to Soupy in uh, in uh, in the second ballsy call, considering how he's played this year. I mean, Skinner gives up three goals. What did you think about that move? And do you think that has any implication on game five? I thought it was an interesting move, to be honest with you. I didn't, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know who mentioned it, but then I just looked down and I saw Jack Campbell in that to, to start second. I was like, I was actually surprised because, I mean, I didn't really think a lot of those goals, if any of those goals were on Skinner. I mean, the Kopitar goal was just him. He was all alone in net. I mean, DeHarnay just kind of let Arvidsson go. And then the Velarde goal was just a pass off pad. I mean, there's really nothing to do there. So it was more or less trying to gain momentum back for his team, and it worked. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, if I'm an Edmonton fan, I have no confidence in Jack Campbell. I mean, if I'm – as a Kings fan, I'd, I hope they start Jack Campbell yeah. going forward. I'd, I'd be surprised if they did because, I mean, this kind of felt like a one-off kind of thing. But who knows? I mean – 
Because the first couple saves he made, I mean, what was the Deneau save? Yeah, <laughs> shaky. Totally shaky. He looked shaky. like he had no idea where the puck was. Just kind of luckily he made a save. So, I mean, it, it was surprising. I mean, he got the win. He made the incredible save in the third period off Arvidsson. Um, in tight, it was a little breakaway. I think I, don't, I think Arvidsson didn't really realize how much time he had. But it'll be something to watch um, for sure uh, going into game five. But I, I believe they'll end up staying with Skinner. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think Woodcroft said that they made the decision after the third goal. It was just a matter of when they make the decision to actually pull him. Um, I after the first couple of saves, I was like, "This is not going to go well. This is Kings are Kings are going to be okay here." Um, and I think Edmonton again they really poured it on in the second period as much as anything. Uh, yeah, Skinner was fine. Like I, I, I want him to have the second one, the Arvidsson goal. I'm not gonna say it's a weak goal. You hope he makes the save there. But um, I, as a Kings fan, I'm really hoping for Jack Campbell to get the start. I agree with Russ wholeheartedly. I, 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 I don't think he's a good goalie. Uh, I think he's somebody that can get rattled pretty easily. So if things don't go well early in game five, it could be a big problem. So if I'm Edmonton, I do go back to Skinner. I know he hasn't been great this this postseason, but I do think he's still their best option. Yeah, I agree. I think that you're looking at, uh, hey, let's throw a Hail Mary up to see if there's a change of person, gets the identity going and, and see what's there. And, and worst case scenario, it's one of those games that happened to us last year in game two. You know, it's just, hey, this team came out hot. They beat us. We gotta we gotta win three straight. Um, you know, so I, I think it's interesting just kind of, how, kind of how that changed. But to the point of hey, Arvidsson had that breakaway. There was a lot of other close pick plays. I think the Kings could have capitalized a lot better in this game on some routine, not routine, but easier opportunities. Especially since the second period was so bad in in Edmonton's favor. Yeah. So. And to be clear, this was the best game the Kings played in the series, and I don't even yeah. think it's very close. Like, they were great in the first. They were great in the second, too. Like, or excuse me, the third period. Like, again, that is how you play. That's how you're going to give yourself the best chance against Edmonton, okay, is to be make them play in their own zone. And I know that's a lot of times that's easier said than done. I, I get that. But – this idea that you have to to kind of play in this structured shell all the time, you're asking for trouble against Edmonton. Um, and so I was really impressed with how the Kings played the first period, the third period. Um, overtime was 10 minutes, it is what it is. But I, I thought the Kings played a good game overall. I thought the Deneau line was excellent. Uh, Fiala, Velarde. Velarde is a center playing center for the full uh, – you know, I thought, he, I thought he did well. I thought he handled his own. Um, you know, again, the idea of him and Fiala back into the lineup is is this is what they can, the Kings can create mismatches in the bottom six. Edmonton's got the advantage in the top six, almost no matter how they slice it. Um, but the bottom six is where the Kings can have an advantage. Now, what I was surprised about with Edmonton and Russ, Randall, I don't know what you guys think. I, I don't like when they go to McDavid and Drysidle together. I think they were dominating – and I guess maybe, in, but they did it so early in the first period. It's not as if they did it after it was three nothing. Like if then there was a time to do it, perhaps you do it after it's three nothing, shake some things up a little bit. They were doing it pretty early in this game. I didn't understand why they've controlled the series, the both of them really. I know McDavid's points haven't quite been there, but it's, you look at all of his expected goals metrics and all that, he's playing fine. 
Um, and obviously dry saddle has been excellent. I just didn't see the need for it. And when you put them together, it, it just, it, they're the, the mismatch isn't quite there on that second line. It, like, and I think the nose line was, was, was really, really good um, for, for LA. So I just, I didn't like them doing that. I don't think they're better that way. And I'll be curious to see how they go into game five. Uh, I think they're better off split though. Yeah, game five, we could end up seeing McDavid and Drysaddle each play like 40 minutes. I know <laughs> McDavid played – he played 30 minutes last night in game four. I mean, you got you to gotta run with your best horses, right? I mean, McDavid's obviously one of the best players in the league. I mean, after this series, I could make an argument that Drysaddle's better than him because he's been that good as an all-around player. I mean, you you see him on the ice. He's so much more noticeable than, than 97. I mean, we're talking about four games, but the way he's kind of controlled – uh, play every time he's on the ice has been insane. Um, so, but yeah, when they were, they went together really early. I noticed that too. There was probably like two or three shifts that they had before the Kings even scored the first goal. So, I mean, it'll be something to watch. I, I know in the second period, they kind of let up a little bit. And then when they were down in the, in the third period, they went back to those two. It was, it was pretty much every, anytime they had a face off, it was Bukestad on the ice with <clears throat> McDavid and Drysaddle. Bukestad would win it. He'd come off and Kane would go right back on for him. So that was their plan, and it ended up working for them uh, with the tying goal and then the, in overtime too, which just – I mean, I want to talk about the overtime goal too because I saw a lot of people harping on Drew Doughty for his play there. And, yeah, his gap control could have been a little bit better there, but, I mean, that's a shot Corpusala probably should have. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's not like – I mean, I'm not going to say that Corpusala – I mean, 100% like that's a soft save because, I mean, it's, it's a nice goal, but – I'm not going to blame Drew Doughty for it either. I mean, he had he was it's a long change for him too. It was almost an extended kind of two on one. So I mean, for you to have to step up on a player that far, you're 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 already on top of the circle. For to expect a forward coming come streaking down the side like that to score from that angle, as a defenseman, I'd let him take that shot nine times out of ten. So yeah, I I don't disagree. I mean, I think I I guess I could, you could maybe say it was like a. a a little, you could maybe hope that Dowdy maybe could have been a little bit more aggressive, I suppose. Yeah. But I, the the corpus doesn't make the save. It went through his arm. It, it's a bad goal. It's, let's just call it what it is. He's played great. It was a bad goal, and it's unfortunate that it happened in overtime. Um, it happens again. These the, these things happen. You know, he played a great game in game two. I didn't love the third goal. These things happen. Um, I'm not going to kill Dowdy for it. I mean, and I'm listen. I'm not going to kill Corpus Allo. It just is what it is. It was a bad goal at a bad time. And we're on to game five, though. Like, there's no sense, like, dwelling over it or anything like that. These things happen. So You, you uh, guys aren't going away from Corpus Allo, right? No. No. God, no. Cal Peterson, he, game five. No. <laughs> I mean, if he, if he, you know, because, again, even when I look back at the goals that were scored in this game, I don't know that any of the ones before that, like, I thought the release that Kane had on the tying goal was was – I don't get on Corpus Allo for that one. And some of the, there was about the two power play goals. I don't think he ever saw Bouchard's goal. So no, I mean, I thought he was, he was good. Um, he was beaten a few times in the first, I think Edmonton had three pipes in the first period. Um, but I, 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 it was, it was fine. Um, it was just a bad goal. I'm easily going back to Corpus Allo in, in game. That's not even, that never crossed my mind, to be honest with you. I don't know if I've seen that on people thinking that that's never crossed my mind. Yeah, now it's like, Brandon, don't even speak that into existence. I'm sorry, I'm not trying not to put that out in the universe there. 
Um, I cut out for a little bit, so I don't know where the transition went to goalie, but I, I think um, I think they kind of just we saw it on the, and they said it on the telecast like after after um, you know Arvidsson put that defender in a turnstile, like he played make two more shifts the rest of the game, um, and then like some of the some of the forwards didn't play there. I think in the third period in overtime they were skating like you know like eight eight forwards and and you know you know four defensemen. It was pretty like they were adding a lot of minutes on everybody. Uh, I think you're 100 right with the three day with the three day layoff. I mean, TBS was saying it like, "Hey, you're gonna expect I'm gonna expect to McDavid and Drysaddle will both to play 30, 35 minutes on uh, you know in game five. So it, it is what it is. I mean, they're pretty much like they have their sets of wingers and they're rotating McDavid and and Drysaddle through all these lines and Bukestad every once in a while. Uh, and they're kind of just all playing with everybody there. And, I, you know, it's it's what I would do, too. I mean, they are so top-heavy, like you mentioned, Joe, and they've gotten a little bit more depth in previous seasons. But mm-hmm. you're going to go with the two you know, two top five guys in, in the game right now, and Dreisaitl's playing better than he did last year. Um, he's, you know, healthier and everything like that, and he just can't be stopped at this point. So why not? You, I mean, you have to go to your horses at this point because – you know, I mean, I know they went earlier than the the goals and and everything like that, but the first period was, you know, even before the goals, I thought it was tilted in our favor a little bit. It Maybe was. they did it yeah. to 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 kind of slow the momentum, you know, turn the tables the other directions, and then go back to the normal uh, shakeup. But I mean, you you got to assume. I mean, you got to start. You got to stop both of them, and we got to be better on our team there. And so let's get to that. I think. Go ahead. If you want to. Well, I was just going to say you'd mentioned uh, Darren A at, at one point in your when you were talking, Ren, and it's like that's where the bottom six can really exploit this this admin. And again, you only do this if you're on that front foot and you're and you're playing that going to attack rather than kind of play back. You can exploit a guy like Darren A. He's been terrible this series. He's been one of the Kings' best players. <laughs> he's taking oh, stupid. Yeah. He's taking stupid penalties, multiple stupid penalties. He has been bad. Um, even and Nurse, Nurse has been bad too. I mean, Nurse has he been, pretty much let Matt Roy just walk right up the middle of the ice you know, and score that goal. I think Nurse is a good defenseman, and I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority there. But I think it's when he gets over his skis a bit and he tries to do a little too much, where that play, the play you're alluding to um, on Roy's goal, like he's totally unnecessary. He doesn't have to do that when he. He's a good player, though. He skates well. He's a good offensive instincts. He's got good offensive mind. He's mean. He's he can be nasty. Like so, when he does it right, I think he can be a solid, solid defenseman. But when he gets a little, does some things like that where where he's awful. Uh, yeah. Well, it's I, the I, thing too is that that's your number one defenseman. You're going to play 25 minutes or 20, 25 minutes a night. I mean, those yeah. mistakes are going to be a lot more like under the microscope because you're out there so much. And, but I mean, yeah, Ekholm, I think people forget like the Ekholm trade was huge for this team, obviously. Yes. But then I think people don't look at the, the Kulak trade last year too. That was a big time trade. Cause I mean, I've seen Kulak have a pretty decent series too. You don't really hear his name come up <clears> too <throat> often, but he just seems solid. And then Bouchard too has kind of turned it up. Oh. I mean, he's always been known as this yeah. offensive defenseman. But he's been so good. I mean, on the power play, his shot is so ridiculous. He kind of reminds me a little bit of – or not reminds me, but I, I kind of want like Brent Clark to kind of develop into that type of player because they're both come came up with a lot of offensive 
um, statistics statistics under their belt from juniors. So if Brent Clark can develop into that Bouchard type role, I think that'd be huge. I, you know, and the thing with why I think Edmonton is is there's multiple reasons why they're so good in playing eleven and seven. A, it's because you can get Drysidel and McDavid on the ice more, but B, it's because you can kind of limit Dayarnay. And when you have Philip Broberg, who I just uh, for the life of me cannot understand how he's not playing over Philip or, or Dayarnay, anyways. But uh, you know, for the first half of that game, Dayarnay had doubled the minutes that Broberg had, and that shifted, like you said, Randon. I think, he, mm-hmm. yeah, that Dayarnay stopped playing at some point that late in the second, early third, and so you know. Broberg's a better defenseman. I mean, so the having the seven helps them on the back end too, if they're smart about it and they don't play Darnay. And eventually they came around to it. But um, I'll be interested to see what they do with the lineup. I mean, I don't know that they're going to take Darnay out, but boy, has he been bad. And you're right at Kulak. I mean, Kulak's been kind of steady. I don't know if it's because he's playing next to Darnay, who's making all the mistakes. So he's looking a little bit better. But he has been, I, I agree, Russ. He's, he's been okay. Yeah, uh, I saw Broberg out in the ice. In some pretty important situations. He's a good player. He's a, was, yeah. Well, yeah. they drafted another, him and he's a top 15 pick. He's a, yeah, another, yeah he's, he's a good player. And another 2019 first round draft pick that was behind <laughs> the Turkai, but right. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. I'd be curious to see if they do anything, though. If, if, if Darren A comes out, uh, if they go back to three lines, I mean, I honestly, <laughs> I would probably just. Go eleven seven, but you're gonna play eleven and six. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just gonna end up rolling the same way. And but I think the big decision we'll see what they do in that because yeah, yeah, that'll be the something to watch. So this, speaking of uh, bad defensemen, our third pair has been atrocious uh, this uh, this series. Uh, Richard come in. <laughs> Richard said, "Who should be the third pair? Edler and Spence, Jersey and Spence, Bjornfoot and Jersey." Bjornfoot and Spence. Let's just talk about how bad the third pair has been, and then we'll get into the game five preview about where we think that should go uh, from there. Yeah, they've been tough to watch. I mean, this was a pair that we talked about probably would be a problem for LA when Gavrikov was placed alongside Roy, and sure enough, it's been a problem for LA. I mean, Edler Jersey, I just, I mean, with Edler, it's just he has no transition to his game right now. He's getting beat with speed. Um, like I said, that penalty just really cost the Kings the momentum that they had from the first period. And then with Jersey, I don't know. I was ta- I was I was actually talking with Andrew Knoll about this in the press box because it's weird because Jersey was actually pretty good last year, and I wonder if it's more because he had more free reign to do kind of whatever he wanted. I mean, there's no doubty. He was kind of looked at to be like the number one offensive guy in terms of defense. So mistakes maybe weren't too maybe thought of in his head like hey i'm gonna be out here like if it's okay if i make a mistake i'm still gonna be out in the ice because i'm really all they got that kind of thing so for this season or this series it's like now that he knows he's only getting spot starts i wonder if he realizes there's more pressure on him to be productive or be like even just a decent defenseman because man when those two on there are are on the ice it just spells doom for for the kings right now and it just sucks because Kings are just really a, t- a four defensive team at the moment. I mean, we saw in overtime. I didn't even know if I saw Edler on the ice in overtime. So it's just tough because this is why at the deadline, I mean, I'll talk about – we'll, we'll get to the bottom six too later, but they should have went for another – there is more opportunity to, to add to this team 
because this team had too many holes in it to go for an extended run. I mean, even if they get by the Oilers, this is still going to be a situation that we're going to be talking about in the in the later rounds too. So it's just unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, this is everybody saw this coming with Adler Dersey. We've talked about it on this show for a year and a half now, or whatever it's been. It just doesn't work. It didn't work last year. It's not working this year. Um, for Dersey specifically, I do. I wonder how much you know is you know he's getting used to playing. Not used to, but he's got to go. He's played the left side for like ninety percent of the season, you know. Um, and now he's kind of has to play the right side, be the retrieval guy with Edler. So I, I do wonder how much of that playing a factor. But, um, I mean, Adler, for, for me, I mean, just looking quickly, too, at, at Money Puck, they're the second worst defensive pair in shot attempts. Um, 29% Corsi. Uh, and inspected expected goals, they're the sixth worst at 27.3%. Um, they're dead last in that category if you – filtered out by defensemen pairs that have played at least 20 minutes. I mean, it's been really, really bad. So I do – I don't know if I should say I expect the change, but I, you should hope that there's a change. I would think they'd bring in Walker for But Edler, the question is for you, who? The question is put, for who? You put Jersey on the left side, you bring in Walker. Because Edler's just – it's been tough to watch. Yeah, it's been tough. I agree. I mean, Russ, and even I in the penalty kill, like if you say he's been helping the penalty kill, the penalty kill has been terrible. Yep. So, yep. Oh, well, the Maple Leafs just won in overtime. I just, I just, I, I, the most, correct me if I'm wrong, almost every time that Edler has not played, it's either because of an injury or because it was a back to back. I think if he's healthy, he's playing. I don't, I agree. I think it should be, I think it should be Jersey left, Walker. I don't know though. I'm not. I'll be convinced that they take Edler out. That veteran, big presence on the penalty kill. I'm just telling you the what what I think that how they look at this. I wouldn't be surprised to see Edler Walker or his size, or, honestly, his size means his size means nothing. He's a statue. I agree. There. Like I agree. I think it should be Jersey Walker. It's going to be tough too because you, now the Kings have to steal one in Edmonton. So those matchups, they're going to when, when they see Edler Jersey on the ice, they're going to put McDavid and, and Drysaddle right out behind him. So I wonder here that it's a great point, and it's something I've been thinking about too. Is like you, this is this is such a pivotal game. This game five. I mean, it's not the be all end all, but it is such a big game. That do you go with what you know, despite it being horrible? Or do you put Walker, who hasn't played a game now in two weeks, and you're going to put him into the series in Game Five on the road? I don't know. I mean, that's that's the. I mean, as a you, you, as a coach, you're just going to have to say, listen, you're on the team, you're on the roster. We're going to trust you in the in the position that we decide to put you in. If that means you're starting Game Five or you're playing Game Five for your first game, so be it. But I wonder how much that comes into play that they got a guy that just hasn't played all series. And you're going to put him out I mean, in a situation potentially. Well, Velarde hadn't played in a month. They put him right back in. And well, it would also be Walker. It would be Walker's first ever playoff game, too, which would be tough in an Edmonton. But yeah, I mean, but at this moment, like, I mean, I agree with Brandon, too. It's just Edler's just not really providing much of anything on I mean, the third pair. I, 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 would, I would put Bjornfoot in over him, too. Like, I really don't care. Like, you need to get somebody out there. That I wouldn't put Bjornfoot in, but, but I, I would. I, You'd rather have Edler over Bjornfoot. Yeah, I would. I would do that a little bit Yeah, that's a little. 
That's Dursey, it's Jersey Walker. Jersey Walker. The answer is right yeah. here. The answer is. Dersey I know the. Walker. I know what the answer is, but in it's in multiple choice. It's anything. <laughs> it's anything over Edler. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could definitely make that argument. I can see that. But, <laughs> you could make that case. And I don't but when think... but then you're playing, yeah, if Walker's available, I think he should slot in for Edler, and then you have well, Jersey Walker on the third pair. Because I know there's a lot of shouts for for Bjornfoot and for Moverari. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I love Moverari. It's just we've seen Walker play, and he's played well. It's not as if he's been a bad defenseman for the Kings this year. And we've seen, frankly, we've seen Dersey Walker be good together as a yeah. pair. They've played about an hour's worth of minutes this season. Not a huge sample, but it's not nothing. The pair's been good. Um, and I know coming into the series, one of the things that we were tossing back and forth was, well, do they go stick with Dersey Walker because it's been good? Or do they go back to Edler Dersey because of the penalty kill? Well, as you point out, Russ, that ain't that doesn't matter, especially when he's in the box for one of them. So what's the difference? You might as well shore up the five on five as absolute best you can and go with Dersey Walker. So hopefully that's the direction, but we'll see. And not only not only that, like Drew Doughty isn't a spring chicken. Like I I know I know that he's one of he's our best defenseman this year, but like him constantly playing over 30 something minutes is not beneficial for this team. Like he can't continue to do that this whole series. You need some help from like they, they shortened that, that rotation early. Like, and so he's out there all the time. I just think it's something that it, it to be said and, and that you need them to refresh. Cause no offense to Drew Doughty or Anze Kopitar phenomenal players. And they deserve the minutes that they're playing. They're not in the prime of their career. Like, like McDavid and dry And I think if we get into that, Hey, our best players play as much as your best players. You know, game five where Edmonton is probably going to roll out thirty-five minutes for both those guys. I believe we lose that matchup. We need to get help from our depth, not only in the bottom six, but from our defensemen to just keep a little bit more legs fresh. Because by all accounts, this game's going to go to overtime again. So, like, let's just like let's. I mean, I under, don't understand like you know the need to do that. I guess I do understand because Edler's been so bad, but. If you if you get some help in that bottom uh, pair, then you won't need to do that, and you'll have you'll have you'll have him a little bit more fresher going into overtime. I guess I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to me. Well, while we're on this topic of the of the defense too, and I, I and I think it's because he's the new guy that Gavrikov gets a ton of the the praise. And hey, he's playing great. I'm not. That's this is not to take away from Gavrikov. It's it's to like Matt Roy is just doing it again for the Kings. And so that, good. That pair has been so good. And Matt Roy just even I'm not even forget about the goal that he scored. It's just like he he is just just such a solid, solid defenseman again. And he just never gets talked about extremely under the radar. So this isn't this isn't a shade on anybody other than just I think Roy keeps not getting mentioned in these conversations about the D. And He's equally as important as, yeah, as there's a re- yeah. There's a reason he's not getting mentioned because he's not making any mistakes. <laughs> the only time we're talking about is when he's scoring you know, goals. Let me ask you this, and this is maybe a totally separate topic for a different day. But like the thing with Roy and Gavrikov is they they they're very similar. I think in that they like play kind of within themselves. They'll jump when they see an opportunity. They're not necessarily all that comfortable. I would say with the puck, they're not great with the puck per se in terms of 
you know, distribution and, and making plays with the puck. They're, they're just really safe. And I think you just said, like, I don't know that I've seen either of them make like a glaring giveaway or a glaring mistake. And I think part of me is like, okay, that's, that's, that's good. But on the other hand, it's just like, does that to me where I want to just go, 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 go. Yeah. It's, Give me the Jordan Spence who's going to make a mistake, but man, it's going to be exciting. And Brant Clark is going to make a shit ton of mistakes next year, and Kings fans are going to want to hang him. But it's the, going right, it's going to happen. Jersey, like Dowdy when he was younger, like I don't know. I just to me, I want I like the ceiling of those guys. I think the safer guys are great to have if you've got a couple of them sprinkled into your lineup. But again, totally separate conversation. I, I think, just, well, I, I think the Kings I think are that's kind of the safer ones right now. I think that's why Dursey and Roy worked out so well because you had Roy to kind of help out with all of Dursey's Dursey-isms that he <laughs> would have throughout the season. Would would you guys use that like the your your thought process on the Oilers being, you know, split up Drysaddle McDavid? Would you split up Gavrikov and Roy to make the entire decor better and go Dursey Roy and and Walker Gavrikov? Yeah, but they won't do it. I mean, yeah. it's and, and again. People think this is a knock on on Gavrikov. It's not. It's it's. We've seen Dursey and Roy play well together, and I think we're seeing Roy is just never getting talked about yet. He could be the. He's just as important, and we're seeing just how bad that bottom pair is. That if you shored that up with a with a uh, Gavrikov Walker, and then you had Dursey Roy. I mean. That's really good, but yeah, they won't. But again, you could potentially accomplish the same thing with Jersey Walker too, right? So um, I don't I'm know. very excited to see how this defense shakes up next season. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I know a lot of people tonight were hoping that uh, Barry would lose so Brant Clark would make his <laughs> his appearance in Edmonton. A uh, little side note, did you guys see that little tuffle of him getting into oh, it with that yeah, fan? He's getting into it with a fan. I saw that. So to, he's a really very emotional kid. Very emotional. He's gonna have to learn to. It's funny because I mean, I don't know. Dowdy obviously never did anything like that, but it's almost the same kind of like energetic, like very uh, charismatic type of player. I mean, that was one of the first things I noticed about Clark when he when he when I watched him at the rookie camp is just constantly talking on the ice. You, you you close your eyes and the only player you hear, you just know when Brant Clark's out there because you just hear his voice. And that's, that's what you want to see from a, a superstar. So I I think when he gets older, he'll learn he'll learn about that. But it's like I like the Moxie. Like I like mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like yeah. him scoring game winning goals and blowing kisses to fans and and being energetic and stuff like that. Like I like that. But Joe, so like this fan was in the first row right by the glass. And they're getting their the crap beat out of them. It's like six to two or whatever in the game. The fans just chirping, Clark, you're the captain, all this kind of stuff. Like I you can't tell what he's saying, but he's just in like like up against the glass, just yelling at this kid <laughs> through, which obviously being an adult, man, like you're yelling at a you're yelling at a 19 year old. Yeah, but, yelling at a, what are you but, doing? But Clark Clark's just giving it back to him, like, you know, F bombs and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And he's like, he I think you see him it's like if this glass wasn't here, would you be talking as much as you are now? And so Clark try reaches to the top of the glass and tries to like starts to climb the glass to go over into the stands after this guy. And like he, I don't know if it's a coach or another player just grabs him by the back of the jersey and like pulls him down. And then he like moves down the bench or whatever. Like it was oh, it was great. I loved it. I mean it, yeah. 
I'd rather I mean, obviously rather, you can't obviously you can't have that, but I think <clears throat> I think you know like it's a learnable moment for him. But I think I'd rather have right. that and try to rein that in than try to pull something out of somebody. You know what I mean? Yeah, try exactly. To pull that emotion out of somebody. And I, I don't know which interview it was, but they said like you look at like Dowdy when he was younger, it was just so emotional all the time on the ice. You knew exactly what was going on. And like, as he's gotten older, he's kind of harnessed that energy a little bit. I think it's probably just going to be the same for, for Clark, but man, that uh, you just love it. Like he scores, you, you know, blowing kisses at people. He's doing sellies all the time, trying Michigan goals. Like this kid's going to be electric. And I mean, talk about the, the best mentor you could have on the Kings. Yeah. I mean, before we're mm -hmm. talking about Dowdy, I mean, they're going to be playing together for the next few years. It's going to be, Perfect yeah. relationship to, to build off of. Well, let's uh, let's see. Let's get it. Let's get into this next part here, be, uh, and then we'll do a little DraftKings after that. Bottom six, right? Uh, for our for or actually just bottom three for for the the Kings was pretty much non-existent. They didn't see the ice for most of the third period. Can't seem to really get a, a shake out there. Um, you know, let's talk about what we've seen so far. It. Does Lazat come back in B three C, or do the does he go back to four C with Velarde playing well? Like, what are you guys seeing there, and maybe something into the future? If I, if Lazat comes back for me, I, I'd slot him at the fourth fourth center's position because I mean, it sucks because Kupari's been so disappointing for me this series. I was hoping for a little bit more from him, and he's just been non-existent on the ice. I mean that that entire line, and yeah, there's been a little little bit injuries that they're dealing with, but. I mean, even yesterday when you, you're able to slot Grunstrom back down to the fourth line and you have Kapari and Anderson Dolan, I would have expected just a little bit more. And then they just were hemmed in almost every time they were on the ice together. And this this is why I I go back to the trade deadline I talked about earlier. Like Rob Blake had an opportunity here to address this situation. He had a chance with the with the salary that was opened up from the Jonathan Quick deal to maybe bring in a player like a Bukestad or a Nick Bonino to help out with the bottom six, maybe help out with the face-off draws, help out with the penalty kill. I mean, that's what the Oilers did, and look at what Bukestad's been able to do for them. Yeah. He's dominating in the face-off circle, dominating, to the point where they're just putting him out there to take a face-off, win it, and then get off the ice. I mean, and Bukestad was traded for a third-round pick and a no-name prospect. I mean, Rob Blake easily could have made that deal and when it helped out, we wouldn't, wouldn't even be talking about this, and it would have addressed the situation the Kings are in right now. But instead, we're talking about trying to fix holes where the Kings have really nowhere to turn to. You're going to put in McEwen. He's not really helping out. You're going to put in Kaliev. He's not really helping out in the 5-on-5. Five five. So this is just the situation that the Kings are in right now, and they're, I don't know, maybe you call see if Alex Turcotte is healthy and try to get him in there at this point, but... I mean, I'm, I don't really trust anybody on the fourth line at the moment unless they're able to get Lazat back. You slot him in that fourth line, maybe bring a little bit of cohesiveness, help him out a little bit. But right now, without him, I mean, it's just they're not they're in a nine forward team at the moment. Yeah, I I, I remain a little hesitant about having Velarde lock in as that third center i mean he's been he's had a breakout season as a winger and i just i still feel a little nervous about the responsibility but i'm probably overweighting or overrating that a little bit and he obviously had a good game the other really good game the other day that line was great and you just can't have a fourth line be this bad zero zeros across the board in anything shot attempts expected goals scoring chances, zeros they had, uh, nine uh, shot intensity. It was just a terrible – you can't have it. They, they played three minutes. 
as a line together because it, it just gets to a point where you can't play them. So I, I think I agree, Russ. I think what I would do is have Lazat in the middle. Um, Grunt, I'd keep probably kill with Grunstrom and, and then keep Kapari on the wing. I think I'd move Kapari over to the wing and play with it that way. Um, I mean, I guess you could make the case that with um, – playing in the fourth line with Lazat as the center, you could maybe make the case for uh, Kaliev to come back in and give that a shot. I don't know that – we may have not seen Kaliev for a while here. <laughs> it wouldn't be a surprise if I don't see the rest of the series. But he may have played his last game as a king. It's, you know, I, I've thought about that. Um, but Trade bait. I think – I do think that it depends on Lazat. Like if Lazat comes back – then yeah, I think I go Lazat, Grunstrom, Kapari, or again, I can you can talk me into Kalia playing next to Lazat because again, Lazat in the right matchup can he we've seen him drive play. He's been a, somebody who's been one of the better shot assist guys in the, on the team. The tricky part is, the tricky part is with Edmonton um, going eleven and seven that they don't have a true quote unquote fourth line. Um, you you might have McDavid or Drysital stuck out there against you know somebody like Lazat too in that situation so we'll see uh we'll see obviously it, without Lazat though I, I I mean I think they just it is what it is what are you going to do this is this is the best that they can put out there is what they did and it's that's a little scary but I mean barring like I don't know you, you, you're not going to move Ayafalo down to help out the line quote unquote and move, maybe swap Ayafalo Grunstrom but I think that might be getting a little too cute um yeah, I, I it could be a, a could be a, a short bench pretty quick uh, in game five. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think it's 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 a situation they could have uh, they could have and should have um, procured at the trade deadline. But we are here there, and I don't think there's a there's a line hold. I mean, we talked about some Hill Marys, you know, during this season, this game or this series with Laferriere. Like, is that is that an option? Like, I mean. Yeah. Lazat Laferriere in Grunstrom, like just give the kid a sh- give the kid a shot. I know that would be a steep ask. His first game, you know, playing in Edmonton on the road, which doesn't seem, which doesn't seem anything that T Mac would even consider. But I mean, we're talking hypotheticals here. Like the team has been, like you said, zeros across the board. Like it was data incomplete, zeros. data error, right? So like you can't get worse than nothing. Um, and so I mean, at that time, like where where is the Lack of incentive, I guess, is the wrong way to put it. But where, where, like, you, there's really nothing you can lose by shaking some things up in a, in a in a drastic nature. And that's what it is because we talk about how coaches, you know, by nature, a lot of coaches in the NHL are are risk averse, um, and and they're going to generally err on the safer option, which for four games has been really bad on that fourth line. So to your point, Randon, what's the difference if you put in a guy like Laferriere? Now, again, I no, I don't think that that's, that's going to happen. Um, but I, it, I mean, zeros across the board, fair. I could have skated up and gave you that. Your point so. is fair. Your point is fair because you've tried Kelly. If they working, tried McEwen didn't work. This fourth line yesterday, again, zeros across the board. I, I mean, at what point, do you try to mix, maybe make something of a, a bit of a drastic move? You know, if there was ever a time you would think it's now, because it's not as if you can count on them to be a, a defensive line, right? Or, a, or at least a line that's going to be, that give, they're not doing that either. 
Give me Lazat, Turcotte, and the Fairy Air out there. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, if you thought Edler was bad, watch Randy McMahon on the ice. Talk about a turnstile. <laughs> um, let's, get to, uh, let's get to our sponsor, the DraftKings, before we keep going into game five here. DraftKings, it's NBA playoff time. That means big hoops actions for DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Get in on the excitement for every game. With the touch of a button, new customers can make a $5 pregame money line bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins. Plus, everyone can score a no-sweat same-game parlay every day during the NBA playoffs. Open DraftKings Sportsbook app uh, now. Opt in and place a same-game parlay on any NBA team. If it doesn't get hit, you'll get a bonus of up to $10. So if you want to go Lakers and LeBron, or you want to go Warriors and Steph Curry, bet it in, get the parlays going, you can do just that. Download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet up to $5 pregame money line and bet and score $150 in bonus bets if their team wins only at DraftKings with code THPN. Kings are plus 190, Randon, at DraftKings tomorrow. Wouldn't be surprised to see that get to plus 200. Then game two, that closed plus 210 at DraftKings. So uh, so if you want to bet the Kings and the, the fourth line to get a goal, you'd probably be at <laughs> plus 15,000, and that would be a pretty good day, payday for uh, for 100 bucks. Yeah, weren't we talking about what uh, McEwen's uh, anytime goal was? Yeah, it was six plus six fifty, I think it was. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's actually really low. That's horrible. That's uh, yeah, horrible, horrible value. value. Horrible value. Yeah. <laughs> Considering he hasn't scored one, that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get into the mustache Marvel game for his return. Let's talk about what maybe we see from that third line here. Um, with Velarde and I follow, obviously, I follow has been great. Fiala had a lot of scoring chances, uh, second most on the team. Do we see that line take another step in the next game? You know, usually it takes one game to shake off the rust. Velarde said, Hey, first period, I was it was it was too fast for me out there. I had to really adapt to what was going on. Fiala seemed fine, but then you know, it maybe seemed uh, second period the team kind of backed off a little bit. What did you guys see from that line? Does that line stay the same if Lazat comes back for you? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, and going forward, you know, what do they need to do to capitalize on the mismatches? Well, what I saw from Fiala is you can tell he's not 100%. You're not really seeing the full complement of his skill set as what we saw throughout the, the regular season, those in tight turns. I mean, the, the obviously the hockey IQ, his awareness on the ice is still there. I mean, that's not, that's not something that will go away from injury, but um, you're not really seeing that speed um, that we saw from him. Maybe he'll come back. I mean, it was his first game, and he's kind of adapting. So he ended up with two points in the first period. So it'll definitely help on the power play, um, that's for sure. So, I mean, uh, that line, I mean, Fiala and Velarde seems to work really well, and I follow helps out there. But, I mean, we talked about uh, maybe making some changes to the third pair, maybe making some changes to the fourth line. But for me, I think there's one change that they that the Kings should look at making. And that's moving I follow up to the first line with Quentin to change out with Quentin Byfield. And the only reason I say that is because Dry Saddle is just dominating this game. He's every every game that's that's been played so far, all four games, it's been Dry Saddle on the ice. He's dominating shift after shift after shift. And Kopitar seems to be the matchup that they're okay with, that the Kings are okay with, that they're just on the ice together. And this isn't really a knock on what I'm seeing from Byfield because I think Byfield's been excellent this series. I think he's he's playing great. Moment's never been too big for him. He's only 20 years old. It is what it is. But I believe if, if you're able to put Ayafalo there in that spot, who 
I don't think any of us would argue he was probably the Kings' best defensive winger. I think that gives the Kings a little bit better chance to to maybe dominate those shifts, those matchups with Kopitar and Kempe. I know we've seen those three be together at, at times, and it hasn't really worked out. But I think with Kempe's kind of breakout into this offensive producer, you have Ayafalo, who's always really solid in his own end. I think that'll really help. And then maybe you unlock a little bit more offense out of Byfield, placing him with Velarde and Fiala, and you get like this wild card line that you can just match up and just put him out there whenever McDavid and Drysaddle aren't there. I mean, then maybe we've seen kind of those uh, Velarde and Fiala just kind of score. I mean, Velarde has two points, what, two points, three points since he's returned. And then Fiala, obviously, with the two points in his return. So I think that that would be a, a change that I'd look at making um, just to help out with uh, the matchups with Drysaddle. And then you get a little bit more offense, maybe help out Byfield in his offensive production. Is that Byfield at wing or is that Byfield at center? Byfield at wing. I'd put Byfield at wing, put, keep Velarde. Yeah, you have two two centers there uh, on the third line, too, to help out with faceoffs. And we've even seen Ayafalo help out with faceoffs, too, in, yep. in certain occasions. So he can help out on the first line. You know, it's funny, kind of <clears throat> along those lines, when I was looking at some numbers and stuff before the series, but knowing Velarde was injured, I just kind of brushed it aside. But um, I forget, it was a decent of the forwards this season. I mean, Velarde's played against McDavid as much as anybody, really. Uh, he had the best. I think it was the, he was the best forward in terms of holding, not holding, but he in terms of on ice numbers, the expected goals against. Velarde was excellent against um, McDavid. And, and I know you said I follow, but I was kind of along the same lines of like, I wonder if he was healthy, would they move him? Would they swap the wings? Would they swap him with Byfield, you know, keep Lazat, Byfield, and, you know, uh, and I follow. So same idea, Russ. I don't hate it. Um, I don't hate it. But yeah, I, I, I get the logic. And I, again, I don't think that it's something that, that, uh, is is totally like out of the out of you know out of left field or anything we've seen i follow up with kopitar before obviously it's 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 it, it i don't think he's going to do much less offensively than byfield has again i don't, i agree i don't think byfield has been bad by any means but at some point like there there's just no production really uh or limited production on the top line and and i know you want to do a job as best as you can on McDavid and or Drysidle, but also as a top line player and a top line, you you have to try to find some sort of production there. Uh, so maybe that's a way to try to do it, um, because it seems like the Dano line. Maybe it was just this last game. I'd have to look back. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the prior games, but boy, were they buzzing this last game. The Dano line was so. Yeah, I, I wouldn't touch that. Um, so I can see that. I think I think there's. I think there's something to that. Yeah, I mean, I'd feel I feel more comfortable playing I have followed 19 minutes a night than I do playing Byfield 19 minutes a night. So you get Byfield to the third line, give him 15 minutes with Velarde and, and Fiala. I mean, it's Velarde, a fun line. It's yeah, a fun it's line. a really fun line. I mean, we've seen that's that's some really good offense. I mean, you have a lot of size there with Velarde and Byfield too. So. I mean, I think it'll work. I mean, it gives Byfield better opportunities, maybe a, lot, a, a little less pressure. And, and like I said, it's nothing against his play because I think he's been fantastic. But I think it'll just help out the defensive matchup against Drysaddle, who's just dominating. I mean, he's been, if not the best player in the playoffs so far in the, this season. So, I mean, it's something that the Kings are going to have to watch. I mean, with the last change now, 
in mm-hmm. Edmonton. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed to it. I like the Velarde idea as well. I mean, shaking things up and it made more sense when when Lazat was healthy, obviously, and they had yeah. good center. But I mean, not that Byfield hasn't been taking faceoffs. I mean, Byfield at three C. I mean, I know it's not something that maybe we even thought Velarde would do, but it's a change that might be necessary. Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting idea. It's 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 amazing when you yeah you th- look at the bottom and you're like, hey, maybe the it needs to come from the top. Maybe we need to we need to pull it down and move it around. That's that's interesting, Russ. I like it. I got to marinate it on a little bit more, but I think I might like that idea uh, going I forward. Do, I do wonder too if they do end up going back to Lazat, um, Fiala, and Velarde on the third, or what was it? it was Fiala was playing the second line, right? So it was Lazat, Velarde. Well, and... they, this 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 whole lineup. I don't know if they've been to like everybody. Ha- that's in. right. We haven't seen all the fourth line because I've heard people say maybe we should bump Trevor Moore down to the fourth line. In certain spots, but yeah, the nice line has been excellent. They've yeah. probably been the best line for the Kings. Well, five on five. I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, I know Trevor Moore. I don't think I mean he scored the overtime goal, but like he leads the team right now in shot contributions. Shot contributions per sixty. He's he's pouring things at the net, yeah. and, and that line in general was was the best. Uh, I think Victor game. Arvidsson might have been our might be our most consistent player from game. Oh, two. he's been by he's far really the good. best Kings, the Kings' yeah, best he's player. Been, he's yeah. been really good. Fantastic. That, again, that that line, that line, I'd like to just looking briefly here, uh, Russ at at the natural stat trick, the Kopitar matchup. So he's played um, thirty, uh, excuse me, forty six minutes against Leon Drysaitel, which is twenty three more minutes than he's played against McDavid. So obviously, to your point, he's he's certainly up against Drysaitel, and it's it's a thirty eight percent expected goals. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, compared to a 63 percent expected goals against McDavid. Or whatever that's worth. So yeah, um, yeah, Drysaddle is definitely getting the better right now of um, of Kopitar. Well, the two players that lead, or the two forwards, I would say that lead the t- the Kings in relative expected goals, which is mm-hmm. your on ice expected goals versus your off ice expected go- expected goals, is Lazat and Ifall. So you saw what happens when you lost your best defensive forward in Lazat. and if Ifall is your <clears throat> second best defensive forward, put him against the best player in the series make it happen i just think like when when edmonton gets into these 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 grooves i think lazat is just so helpful because he never gives up like it's not like like i I think i I think i see a lot of time and i know it's necessary but it drives me absolutely insane where it's like the players the kings are just so wiped after a shift they just dump it in and then change and it's like like i understand like you're wiped you're just trying to get the puck out because you need to make a change but I'd like to see somebody carry the puck out or make a pass instead of just jumping it out. Joe, I mean, you're a coach. Maybe I don't know if there's something about yeah. that, but well, but like, it just seems like you just repeat the cycle of giving Edmonton the puck back. The King, well, again, a lot of this is this is this is why the Kings what was worked so well in the first period is they didn't do that. They weren't in their zone, they were playing in the offensive zone. Now, the way the Kings play. And this is why I go back to what I was kind of alluding to earlier with the defensemen. It's like, yeah, Gavrikov and Roy, they don't make any mistakes, but they also don't make any plays. Like in terms of getting pucks to their forwards, that's a little harsh. I think you know what I mean. Like they're not the the tape to tape. They're not going to beat a guy. They're not going to skate the puck out of the zone. They're not. That's just not. They're going to go. They're going to get it. 
you know, off the glass. They're going to get it into the neutral zone, and they're going to let Trevor Moore skate into it. They're going to let Victor Arvitz and fly into it. They're going to let Adrian Kempe fly into it, right? Because that's how the Kings are going to play, and they're going to pick it up. They're going to try to get a chance off the rush. Like, that's how they are built right now. So, Randon, when you're spending an entire shift in your own zone – and you get your D-men and you chip it out into the neutral zone, there's nothing in the tank. There's absolutely – the best you can do is hope that you got a guy that has enough in the tank to skate it in, rag the puck a little bit, wait for some help and a line change, and then you get off. But when you're defending for 25, 35, 45 seconds and you finally get the puck out, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. There's just no gas to go the other way. So that's what makes it tricky, and that's why I say – you, and I know it's easier said than done against Edmonton, but you've got to try to beat them in their zone because if you play this sit back, you're never going to play enough offense to beat them. So that's that's where I come from with that. You're right. So it's it's that's again to bring it back around. It's just that's how they're built, right? That's how the Kings today are built. We've talked about a lot of skill coming up in the defense group with Spence Clark is coming. Jersey's now getting kind of – he's not quite the same, obviously, as Clark and, and, and Spence, but like you've got some skillful guys that are coming. Where and how do they slot in and fit into this current makeup of the team? Because they're, they're, they are very, very different type of players than what the Kings currently work with. But Jersey has made some tape-to-tape passes across multiple lines. He's capable. No, yeah. Jersey's capable. He's not, he's not like the fluid skater, per se, that, that Jordan Spence is, but he's more than capable. But people, it's 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 a little risky, you know. And, and again, that's why I think people adore this Gavrikov-Roy pairing. And listen, they've been great. Like, they're, they're, they're doing – that. there's a there's – a, uh, me too, like, to a point. It's just – I prefer the guy. I want to get up and go a little bit. I'll take a couple of mistakes. I'll take a little bit more risk if it means we're going to go. You know, we're we're going to actually try to make a play, and and make something happen. And 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 because you spend less time in your zone if you have defensemen that are mobile, that are good with the puck, that can make some plays in tight spaces. They're not afraid of a forecheck. They can spin off a play and go D to D or hit the center or make a play out of the zone. It's just not how the Kings are built right now. More than when one. Trying, when you're trying to counterpunch, which I think we need to be good at, like you are reacting to something else. You're not taking it to another person. And I think they need to do that better. You know, and the Kings, the Kings to their credit, they are one of the better possession teams in the NHL. They're one of the better shot suppression teams in the you NHL. You wouldn't know it. Well, this is why this matchup was so bad. I know everybody says, oh, we're, we're the best team suited to play against Edmonton. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's a good matchup. Yes, they probably are the best team suited to play Edmonton, but it's still Edmonton, and they are still a better team. So that doesn't make it a good matchup. That's why I think I am pretty optimistic. If they can get past Edmonton, boy, do they got a shot to make a run through the West. There's no question in my mind. So it's just this happens to be the toughest matchup. Doesn't it feel like the, these might be the, I mean, we might be biased a little bit here, I'm not gonna lie, but doesn't it feel like the, these are the two best teams in the West? It's not even it's not even us though. Like if you listen to the athletic and like their playoff predictions, the dark horse yeah. to win come out of the West was the LA Kings. And, and most people wrote yeah. yeah, most of them wrote said, Hey, like we believe Edmonton's the best team in the West, but if they get past if the LA Kings get past Edmonton. It's like their it's their division to win. Or I was I was thinking about t- that too, and I'm watching like I'm watching the the Jets and the Golden Knights. I've been watching all these other playoff series, and and I just think like man, like the Oilers, like 
<clears throat> if the Kings can somehow win this series, no, none of these teams scare me. I mean, we've seen the Kings play up with the Avalanche, yeah. beat the Jets, beat the beat the Wild. I mean, none of these teams scare me. So if they can figure out a way to steal one of these games in Edmonton, and I mean, it, it's wild that there's a three day break. I mean, if they're able to win tomorrow or and tonight, when if you're listening today and and come back with a three day break, maybe you get Lazat back at home. Boy, that would be huge for this team. You're talking about a team in LA who's been a top five teams in terms of uh, of anything against, whether it's course against, expected goals against, uh, shot attempts against, uh, excuse me, scoring chances against. Like they've been consistently one of the better teams in the league at that this season. They are by a mile dead last in these categories in playoffs. It's not. It, it's Edmonton. <laughs> like they're that freaking good. So that's why. Yeah, like if they can find their way past these guys, they've got a legit shot. They've got a shot. Which is why yesterday was so yeah, was so infuriating. Sure. Like yeah, yeah. when you if you go up three one, that's that's so 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 no, here's not a thing. gimme in, there. And you're you're right. You're right. And I'm but not panicking Ed- like, oh, this series is over. I'm just saying, like, you gotta capitalize on opportunities. But Edmonton can say the exact same thing. They blew a two-goal lead in game one, they should have won game three. Edmonton. But I'm not an Edmonton fan. I know. Joe. That. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it's wild. I, I totally get what Joe's thinking. Like, uh, it's wild to think like this series could be three zero on either way at this point. That's how close this series has been. Every game, like I mentioned earlier, has been essentially one goal games. The games, I mean, the, Kings- been, the scores have been close. The games, the first three games, really weren't close. Like Edmonton. There's no the fact that Edmonton wasn't winning this series, whether it's two one or three nothing after those three games. Again, it is I, the, the article I wrote was like this: the whole the only reason the Kings are where they are, Corpusalo was standing on his head, and Edmonton just continued to shoot themselves in the foot, blowing leads, multiple goal leads, and taking stupid penalties. If Edmonton wasn't parading to the box in just moronic fashion then they could easily be up three nothing in this series. So yes, I know it's, you know, you, ah, we blew the three nothing lead and they had the lead and this and this, they had another lead in the third period. Edmonton has been blowing leads all series. They can say the same thing. So it's, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's what makes it a fun series. That's yeah. That's why this is most exciting series in playoffs right now. And it's funny that it's not only us saying it's, it's TBS, Mm -hmm. TNT. They're like, Oh, this is the cherry on top. Like this has been the greatest, you know, it's like, no offense to what we've been watching all day. and Dude, I saw you... ESPN talking about this series today on Around the Horn and Pardon the Interruption. I mean, Around the Horn, they they called Jack Campbell John Campbell, but they're, they're making progress. <laughs> it's baby steps there. It's baby steps. Well, ESPN's uh, announcing has been horrible, so I, I can only imagine their, their other shows when it comes to hockey. Uh, offense at- intended. Um, <laughs> I, I just think it's, it's just interesting. It's just right there, man. It's just, man, it was just right there. You know, I'm like, it, sure. it just it you know you think like hey could we just have a game where we just stomp on their throats and it's five one you know like couldn't we have one of those games Not you know happen. Like, yeah Not it was just happen this series I've been waiting for it to happen the other way right it just but yeah and then McClellan talked about that at the press conferences I mean this this these teams are much closer than everybody thought I mean even you look back to last year mm-hmm. there were, what games were six nothing in game two and eight two in game three. I mean, now we're we we're at three overtimes in four games. <laughs> these these games are so much closer. I mean, it really could go like people are saying the series is over. If you're like, there's probably far from over. I mean, uh, the Kings yeah. have done this before. This happened last year where they win game five and and stole one there. So I mean, 
I'm, yeah, and that's that the momentum between games doesn't exist because if that was the case, how would the Kings not won the series last year? They won game five in Edmonton, they go home to LA. Of course, you're going to win the game. No, it means nothing. Like I, I joked about it before, but Daryl Sutter said it absolute best. It's park and ride. The game's over. It means couldn't mean less. It, it could mean less. You, you are getting on a plane, flying to a new city, you're in a hotel. The game it, it means nothing. It's a totally new day, totally new game. You go play that game and you win that day, and that's that's all it comes down to. And it has no effect on the following. I mean, unless there's somebody gets hurt, obviously, or something like that. But there's no effect really on the next game. So you don't carry things over. Momentum within a game is ebbs and flows. It's crazy, like, and you can feel it between games. I, I don't buy any of it. Well, I'm just going to sulk a little bit longer until tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Well, uh, you know, I, I just think it's it's interesting, man. It's interesting. I, but I think the positives, obviously, Fiala is going to be back for his second game. A little bit more of the rush shaken off. Maybe his lack of that burst and speed that we've seen all season is because that just rust. His legs needed to get, you know, underneath him. Maybe we see that. Hey, even the three-day break will be good for Fiala to kind of rest up after the the two games here. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what's going on. Corpus has been fantastic, Mm -hmm. um, and he's really given us a chance there. And if this team is like Joe tweeted out before the second period, you know, we're seeing the full Kings team. I mean, they can beat everybody. They can beat everybody. No, I'm serious though. Uh, this that that didn't it, it aged well. It didn't age well for that game, but it's <laughs> it's something it's something along the lines where if they play like that, we, they we've are seen really we've seen team. the we've seen the pinnacle, and it, and I I truly believe that the forward group for the Kings is deeper when you have Fiala and Velarde on the third on the third line, and if you get Lazat back, so it's like if we can get that Kings team that just rolls lines, you know, and and puts them on their feet, I, like you're not you're not beating us, so. Uh, you know, game five is probably going to be the most important game as of this series, like Shank Master said. But hey, we won game five last year and we and we lost two, so even after that, it's not it's not over by miles. So, hey, two best teams are playing it out and knocking it out in the first round. Heavyweights are going at it, punches are being thrown, sometimes figuratively, sometimes literally, um, in uh, on the ice. But uh, man, it's been good, and we're going to be covering it here at Hockey Royalty. Thank you, everybody, for coming in the chat. As always, you can find all of our articles at HockeyRoyalty.com. Coming out daily there. Follow us at Hockey underscore Royalty, <coughs> at Randa Commando, at NHL Russell, at JW Paterino. And if you want to, any of your rain news, follow at Kopitar for uh, HOF. We will be having a season-ending rain show probably this week, so keep an eye out for that uh, to get the, the season recap there. Uh, you guys are awesome in the chat. Richard, Shake Master, Nav, everybody. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Um, all for always coming in here and making the chat a spicy. And uh, as always on this podcast, go Kings go. <laughs>